All right, we are going to be back in the book of Micah, continuing our study through the book of Micah. This is another one of these uh, books of the Bible that you don't hear a whole lot of preaching on. You know, typically if you do hear some preaching from the book of Micah, it's going to be like hitting some of the prophecies about Jesus that he fulfilled, and nothing wrong with that. But then um, the... You know, another thing you might hear from the book of Micah is a verse that would be a good springboard for a subject. And that's not necessarily wrong to do that either, but I think it's really important that we have a full understanding of everything that goes on with these prophecies. There's a, really lot, uh, there's a lot we can learn from and understand. And so last week, uh, we went into a lot of the background of what all was going on during this time. Judgment is being pronounced on Judah and Israel or Samaria. This was the time when the kingdom was split and they were both in trouble because of all the things that they had done. And we talked about how uh, we know that later Judah ends up having some repentance. And so as a result, judgment is stalled for them. It was a long time before it came on them where it came on Samaria during this time. And so uh, don't think that when you're reading the Bible that these prophecies did not come to pass with Judah. They did just much later, and that is often how prophecy works, where it's telling you what's going to happen. And sometimes those things don't happen, but eventually they will. And it's like that with good or bad. That's another thing, too. Uh, hopefully, we'll cover more of this as we go. But even when it comes to good prophecies, okay, for example, prophecies about the return of Christ, okay, often what we do with those things is we will take, especially if they're in the Old Testament, will take every word of those prophecies. And because there's things that have not been fulfilled about the coming of Christ, what we do is we'll make that entire prophecy about the future. But the, and the thing is, the, the problem with that is we're going to get a little mixed up if we don't understand that there was, um, there was a message for that generation. But because they did not do everything they were supposed to do, not everything came to pass in their day. And so we're not wrong when we're looking for certain aspects of those prophecies to come to pass in the future for us. We're not wrong. Preachers aren't wrong when they go and they'll read those things and they'll make application for us as Christians. They're not completely wrong in, in doing that because of the fact that not everything was fulfilled during that time. And it's important that we understand why. And when, we, and when you understand why those things weren't completely fulfilled, then all of a sudden it makes perfect sense when we start saying this was fulfilled, yet this wasn't. And then it really helps too understanding a lot of things concerning replacement theology and uh, how the church is connected with these things. And we're going to be looking at something in this morning service that I'm really excited about um, involving Palm Sunday that is prophetic where we're going to see something, we're going to see a prophecy fulfilled with Israel, part of it, but we're not going to see all of it fulfilled because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so dispensationalists, they'll, they'll read those prophecies, some of those same prophecies we're going to look at, and because not everything came to pass, they act like it's all still yet to come to pass. But no, that's, that's not right. Uh, because what we're, And then I'm going to show you too in Revelation where we kind of see the rest of that prophecy come to pass because the next time, the next group, the true Israel of God is actually going to get these things right. 
So this is just really important stuff to understand when reading prophecy. Go ahead and think about how does this apply to our future, but always pay attention to how it should have applied to them in that day. And if you do that, uh, eventually it'll all make sense. So uh, in today's lesson, though, we're going to kind of look at something very specific that is another thing, too, that will help us understand a lot about the Bible why it goes into some of the detail it does on certain things. And so, verse 1, it says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. And for centuries, Israel had been practicing the same type of lawlessness like the other nations. Israel was supposed to be different than the other nations, but they weren't. They were just like the other nations. And so, as a result of this, you know, they were under... The judgment of God. God expected something different from Israel. God expected them to be a holy people. God expected God expected them to follow His law, and so they. But they were doing everything just like the heathen. Now, let me ask you this question: Why do Why does the heathen do what the heathen do? You think you can sum it all up in one word? Because it, it feels good to the flesh. The flesh. That's why. So the thing is, when you see a group like Israel, who are supposed to be a special people, not following God's law, doing exactly what the heathen are doing, it just goes to show that they are walking in the flesh. And they didn't understand the concept of walking in the spirit like we do today, but that's why they did the things that they did. When we see churches today starting to act just like the world, look like the world, have the same music as the world, when, when they're doing everything just like the world, there's only one reason, because the flesh. That's why they're following these things. And we're supposed to follow after the things of the Spirit God intends for us to be different. And so prophets like Micah and then later Jeremiah and their prophecies, they would often lay out many of their transgressions that had gotten the Lord's attention. And certain things were supposed to be sacred to them, but because they didn't have the mind of God and they just didn't care and their own their own nation it started degenerating into something that was just like the other nations. And, you know, our country used to have a more biblical mindset. And the more we lose that, the more we are degenerating into a European nation. And isn't that what our politicians always do when they want to pass some new radical crazy law? Well, you know, they're doing it over in whatever country. And it's like, you know, we left those countries for a reason. You know, we all, like, you all understand America's a melting pot, Right. People from all, you know, we're a nation of immigrants, but everybody immigrated here for a reason because they liked what we had going over here. They liked the freedom here. And then you're going to tell us, no, let's go be like all the nations that our ancestors escaped from. I, I think that's a bad idea, but don't get me going on that. But it says in verse two, because so it starts naming some transgressions that they did. And it says, and they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house even a man and his heritage. And often, as American Christians, when we read these passage, passages, we take for granted just how bad these sins were because we live in a degenerate society today that does not value these things. We do not really have a heritage in the biblical sense in our country anymore. Because in, in the Bible days, no, specifically talking about their land that they had, in a man's land, it belonged to him and his family, and it was a huge deal. Okay? When you go back and we look at some of those laws that they had in the Old Testament where it was just like, 
why did they do that? And it seems really foreign to us, and, it, and understandably so for a lot of reasons. But for example, um, like if a, if a man died not having any son, and he would have a brother that would raise up seed in his name. Why was that? It's be, and it was because that possession that they received, it was theirs, and meaning it didn't just stay with them and then go to somebody else in their will when they died. No, it was supposed to remain in his family. And so if they didn't have any family, it was so important that it stayed in that family. A brother would raise up a seed for his brother, which, you know, it just shows how sacred that kind of thing was to him. We don't care today. We, lo we lose everything. One of the things, too, that I think is, you know, you could say that's good about our country, but in, in a lot of ways it's bad, too, is I'm glad that in our country, you know, we do a pretty good job of taking care of the elderly. And I, I think that's I think that's very important. But one thing I don't like is how a lot of times if somebody has to go in a nursing home or something like that, how people end up losing their houses. And I, I know somebody here in town, uh, an older gentleman owned his house free and clear and lived in that same house for years. But then his wife got where he couldn't take care of her anymore. She went to a nursing home. And so they basically took his house. Now, they let him live in it. He, he's still living in it. He's able to live in it till he dies. But then when he dies, he can't pass it on to his kids. It's going to go to the state. And it's theirs now. And I don't like taking away people's land. I think, I think that's a problem. I don't, I don't like, you know, they're basically now taking his heritage and he doesn't have anything to pass on to his children. And, you know, that's too bad. And, you know, you can blame him while he should have prepared. You know, I, and I don't want to get into all that, but I just, I don't like the idea of taking somebody's heritage. And, uh, but most people today don't care. Don't think about it. It's just not a big deal. So uh, we, we take these things for granted. And God did not like that they were taking people's lands. Remember Ahab? When he stole Naboth's vineyard, it wasn't just, I mean, it was bad. The fact that he killed him the way he did, they had a murder, the false witnesses and all that, but you don't take away somebody's land and Naboth wasn't about to get rid of his heritage. That land belonged to his fathers. He did not even have a biblical right to sell that to the king. And even though Ahab was a king, he didn't have the right to demand it. That was totally contrary to God's laws. And so... It was a big deal. And, you know, today, I mean, I've even heard IFB preachers just mock the idea of the family farm and like it's an American concept. And it's like, no, that's not an American concept. That's a, it's a biblical concept. And it's just beyond ignorant to claim different. And so I want to give you a few reasons why this is so important, why the land thing is so important. And listen, don't, don't red herring me and talk about how soul winning is so much more important Spiritual things are so much more important. I get that. The spiritual is, is more important. Okay? I, I get that. Do not red herring fallacy me. But I'm going to explain why the, the property rights land thing is important too. There's a reason it's important. But in Psalm 16, we all know this verse, verse 6. It says, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now, as Christians, I grew up here in this and it was not wrong. I have talked about this and I was not wrong. But, you know, I'm somebody who I have a goodly heritage, but that's more spiritually speaking. Okay, you know, spiritually speaking, you know, I come from a good family who had good morals and principles and were godly and that, that taught their children right. And, you know, and it goes back generations. And so 
as far back as I know of in my family, they were all saved. You know, and and I'm and I'm thankful for that. I'm I'm very thankful for that heritage, and all those spiritual things that have been passed on to me, they are of more value than money, land, any of that stuff. Okay, so again, don't think because I'm talking about the physical heritage that I am ignoring the spiritual. I get that the spiritual is better. I, I'm, I would much rather be left a good spiritual heritage than a uh, good earthly heritage. I, I would much rather have that. Um, and so when David is talking about this here, and he's saying the lines are falling to me in pleasant places, that's a reference basically to the borders of his heritage, of his land that was his, that he possessed, and it was a goodly heritage. He didn't, he didn't inherit swamp land. You know, he got good land. He, he had a good heritage. He had a good land that they could be fruitful on, prosperous with. And so this was a reference to land, and it was important. And so, again, it, it is a red herring fallacy whenever you start talking about a physical inheritance or physical things, and then people want to start talking about the spiritual. Okay, just because the spiritual is more important does not mean that the physical is not all, also important. And so when people, because here's why, when it comes to the physical inheritance, when people don't own land, you know what? They don't care what happens to it. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever ever wondered why it's so easy for us to just not really care about what happens politically? Because, you know, and and this, this is a good thing, it's a bad thing. But for example, Illinois, okay? You know, Illinois, you know, our latest governor has just been a nightmare to the state. And has caused a lot of problems, you know. And so, but at the same time too, we can always take comfort in the fact that if we had to, we can always flee and move to another state. Now, but why is that? You know why that is? Because we don't really have a physical heritage. You know, I don't. I you know, I I've got three acres, but you know, I can legally sell it. You know, biblically, legally, all that kind of stuff. I could start over somewhere. But, you know, it'd be different if that, if I had, like, this land and that house had been in my family for generations. You know, and so the thing is, we don't have any real connection to our land today, and so we don't really care what happens. So what do we have today? We have people just moving around and going from one place to another. But the problem with that is a lot of these places that are good, you know, the people with bad politics are moving to those places too, and then messing them up. It's like, you know, every, you know, I mean, California, I mean, it's, it went to pot a long time ago, but what is everybody doing there? They're all moving from California to places like Texas and Florida that have been known for having more freedom and everything. And what are they doing? They're ruining those states. I mean, Texas is going downhill real fast. Texas is probably going to eventually be a blue state too. And once that happens, we're never going to get another Republican governor or a, a president again. Eventually it's going to happen in Florida too. So the thing is, you know, it's, it, but it's one of those things where long-term, this is not going to last. Long-term, it's not going to last. And, and it's our government's fault. They have taken everyone's heritage. They're, they cream us on property taxes. They're, they've done so much damage. We've all just become so disconnected from our families and heritages and all these things that we literally just don't care. But when you do, when something is yours, when your life has been invested into it, when it's been in your family for generations, you know what? You typically, you care and you're ready to fight for it. Who are those people that fought the government out west years ago uh, for their land? I forgot who it was. What's that? Army. 
Was it the Bundys? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I was cheering for them the whole way. I didn't know much about it. There's probably some details about it I don't know. But when I heard about these people, you know, fighting off the government for their land, I was on their side. So, oh, well, you know what? They, they're heretics. Okay, what is that? You know, you, government doesn't take people's lands for, I don't even know what their religion is. But that's what people always want to bring up. Again, the red herring <laughs> fallacy. It's like, that has nothing to do with it. Okay, I don't care. I don't care if they're Mormons. The government doesn't have a right to take their land. You know, and I'm glad, I'm glad they fought them off. And I, I, did they win? I forgot how that ended. I think they won. I don't know if they did something to them later. But anytime I see people standing against the government, I get excited. But, so when it, but when people don't own land, they don't care what happens to it. Cities, nobody owns anything. And look at these places. Look how disgusting they are. Look at, look at welfare communities. Look at housing projects. What happens to these places? You can build these people a nice, beautiful housing project, but it's not theirs. So they don't care. They let it fall apart. They let it get destroyed. They let the town get filled with crime. It didn't used to be that way. You know, people used to try to keep scum out of their towns. They'd try to keep the sodomites out of the town. They'd try to keep the, you know, the low lives and drifters and all these people out. But, you know, now everybody's just told it's all racist and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe there was an element of that to it in some cases. But maybe a lot of times they didn't want certain people in their town because of the fact that they were immoral, because of the fact that they were living lawless. And, but, you know, now, you know, maybe there was a reason some countries too. You know, they didn't like the Jews coming in and spreading their filth, spreading their entertainment, spreading their predatory lending practices and things. They thought, this is going to kill our society. This is going to kill our way of life. And so they tried to get rid of them. But, you know, now everybody everybody says anti-Semitic. You know, there's a reason for these things because people used to understand in order to survive as a nation, you can't let things degenerate and people aren't going to care about a land where they have no inheritance where they have no possession. You think I care what happens in California? You think I care what happens in New York? I don't have any possession there. You know, they, it, but you know, in Illinois, I care a little bit more. You know, I, and, but our, the, our government's doing everything they can to just take everything of real value away from us, replace it with entertainment. You, hey, in, in some people's lives are their social media, their TV shows. Well, you can watch those anywhere. You know, you, you can watch all that in the city. You go in these little cubicles they put people in, in these cities, and they're happy there as long as they've got some warmth, they've got some food, as long as they've got an internet connection and their satellite's working. But what happens too, you know, if they lose their satellite or an internet, you know, they start hearing the little House in the Prairie music going in their head, you know, because they feel like they're back in the Stone Age or something like that. But the longer something is in your family, the more you will care about it and fight to protect it. And Israel just got to the point where they didn't care about these things anymore. And so a nation where no one truly owns anything is going to be one where people will not think about the next generation. We don't even care if we have anything to pass on to the next generation anymore. You know why? Because we're so immoral, we just think our kids are going to waste it. They're all going to go to Vegas and gamble it all away, which they probably would if you're raising your kids like most people are today. And so, but the thing is, the next generation, they need a heritage. And morality is not going to be a priority if you're not planning on passing something on the next generation. You want to know why morality is so important? It's not just because we don't want to disobey God. It's because we want to survive. And we will not survive as a nation. Our families will not last. We won't even survive physically if we're just being filthy and immoral. We will have lifespans like the LGBT STD community. And we don't want, we don't want that either. 
So, of course, I would rather have nothing in this world. I'd rather have nothing in this world. I'd rather live in California and be saved and go to heaven when I die than to have all the things this world could offer and go to hell, for sure. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't, that we should just stand by and, or support laws and ways that will turn our nation into a Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's exactly what's happening in our country. And so if you, wanna, if you want an example of a specific time where this type of sin took place, you will see, you know, you'll see it in the story of Ahab stealing Naboth's vineyard. It's exactly the type of sin, and that was very wicked, and it displeased the Lord greatly what he did to Naboth. Not just because of what he did to Naboth, but what he did to his entire family, his entire heritage. It was against God's word to do that kind of thing. So verse 3 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. And the family he's referring to is the house of Jacob. He's letting them know that harm is coming to them. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me, turning away that hath divided our fields? And I, I don't know this for sure, but I think that prophecy you could say was fulfilled with Jeremiah, who Jeremiah's writings, you know what they were? Lamentations. There's a whole book, five chapters called Lamentations. Lamentations of Jeremiah. What is he doing? He's lamenting the judgment that came on God's people from the Babylonians. And, and Jeremiah is, it's kind of, it can be, kind of be a depressing book in some parts just because a lot of bad things came on Israel. Jeremiah loved his nation and he is known as the weeping prophet because he did a lot of crying because he had to see a lot of bad things. And, uh, but Israel asked for it and they were warned. They, they were warned. And so Israel's been in this land uh, and it's been established for hundreds of years. And so while the borders were well established, uh, these things would end up being removed. And look what it says in verse 4. It says, and, um, In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How he hath removed it from me Turning away, he hath divided our fields. So again, that's that those borders, that land that was so important. And so while everybody just knew, you know, this is the border for the tribe of Issachar. This is the border for this person's land. This was this right here is the land that Caleb went and conquered and got for a possession. And they knew all these stories, and they would they had markers, they had landmarks, which was also commanded, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmarks. God wanted these things being sacred, being things that would be remembered. And so after hundreds of years, people are just kind of, know, they're going to know whose land they're in. But he's basically prophesying a destruction here that would be so bad that those things are all going to be removed. And enough time is going to go by where you are not in that land where someday when God restores them to that land, and God did restore them to that land, that it's going to be questionable about where was the place. Okay, now, we're going to talk more about this later on, but I find it interesting that just in Judah, okay, they were in captivity for 70 years, just 70 years. Okay, I don't know how, I forgot how long it was for the northern kingdom, but that fairly short time, you know, it might have been a couple hundred, a few hundred years for the northern kingdom. They, he was basically saying, 
you're going to forget the borders. You're going to, you're going to lose those things. And let me tell you something too. In Israel, in 70 AD, they, everything was destroyed like that. And in all the places today, if you go to any of the places today and they're like, this is where this took place and this is where this took place. And this has been believed. You know, if, you, if you go trace back the history, and I've been doing a lot of study on this, it's always the 4th century. Over 200 years, close to 300 years, these places were forgotten. And now all of a sudden, we think they were going to be able to go back after that and say, this is where the temple was. This is where this took place. Listen, nobody really knows. When, if you go to Israel, you go visit the garden tomb, you go visit where Jesus died on the cross, you go visit where the temple was, nobody really knows. You can't really know. And, that, and God did that on purpose. That was part of their judgment. But people act like, too, no, we know for sure this is it. No, they have to say that because they can make more money if you're convinced this is the actual place. You'll probably buy one of their hankies that, you know, Catholic ladies rub on the rock where Jesus' body lay if you're convinced his body actually laid there. But if you're just like, that probably isn't it, and we have no way of knowing, then you're not going to buy their stuff. So uh, just understand, part of these judgments God would bring on them is forgetting all that. And, and imagine a land being in your family for hundreds of years. You know, if, if, if you know, my house, I, I've got three acres. Okay? But if that was in my family for hundreds of years, imagine how I would feel if to think that I'm going to lose this land and hundreds of years later, my family, when they're back in this land, they won't even know where this was. They won't even remember it. That would be difficult. I wouldn't want to be the one to see that happen, but that was part of the judgment that came on them because of all the things that they had done. So, um, where do we leave off? So, verse 5, it says, Therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. And what this verse is saying here is that after this judgment comes, there won't be anyone to show you what inheritance belongs to who anymore. Because, um, well, look at what it says in Joshua 19 and verse 51. It says, These are the inheritances which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. And if you remember back when we were going through Joshua, we went through all those verses and chapters where all it is is dividing the land. And let's just admit it. It's kind of boring reading that. We have no idea what these places are that they're talking about. But when they did that, they kept record and they kept that record in the house of the Lord. And those records were proof of who that land belonged to and whose family that it was in. And so when he's saying there's not going to be anyone to cast a cord in the congregation of the Lord, you know why? It's because that temple was going to be destroyed. Those records are going to be destroyed. And there was going to be no way of like going back and, you know, you're the next generation, even after 70 years, you know, you could have lived long enough to go back to your inheritance. You'd have probably just been a kid when it was there, but you wouldn't have even known for sure it was yours. Somebody else might claim it, but then you have no way to prove it. You know, and like today, you know, at the, at the county clerk's office, they've got records of all these things and they've, they've got all this stuff mapped out and all that. But, you know, imagine if something happened and they lost all those records, you know, then it wouldn't stop. It'd be easy for somebody to come along and say, no, that was always my property and we don't have any way of proving it. 
And that is a very wicked, that would be a very wicked thing. It'd be a very difficult thing, especially if that land was important to you. So uh, that's what he's talking about there in verse 5, that that's what's going to happen to him. And so verse 6 says, Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them that shall not take shame. And so these people were telling them not to prophesy to them. They just, they refused to accept the shame. Like, we don't want to hear about this because all these prophecies against them were a reminder of just how sorry and pathetic they were. We don't want to hear about that. And that's why, that's how it is in a lot of churches today. They don't want to hear preaching about their sin. Well, that's going to make me feel bad. Well, you, you need to feel bad. You know, you need to turn to the Lord. You know, you need to ask Him to save you. But what do we got today? Churches preaching all love, not preaching against sin. How are people supposed to get saved if they don't even know what they're getting saved from? But you know what? It doesn't make people feel good. And so a lot of people are like Israel, just saying, you know, don't prophesy those things. Don't bring shame to us. Verse 7, O thou, thou art named the house of Jacob. Is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Not my word, not my words do good to them that walk, or do not my words do good to them that walketh uprightly. So while a lot of bad is being said, if one is walking uprightly, then they won't have anything to worry about. Now, I, I guarantee you, every parent in here has had, has said something along these lines. So for example, have you ever just been like yelling at your kids in general for something? And then, you know, about something bad, you know, a big mess was made. And then there's always that one kid that had nothing to do with it. And they've got to make sure, you know, you know if you just like, like, you know, whoever it was that made that mess in the kitchen, you better not do that again. I haven't even been in the kitchen, Dad. So, you know, well, then this doesn't apply to you. You know, you're just kind of just throwing out this general thing to whoever's doing it. But, you know, there's always that kid that's got to make sure, you know, acknowledge that it wasn't me. You know, and any, any of kids ever done that before when you just kind of randomly yelled at everybody for something? I think, I think every parent has dealt with that. It's like, okay, then this doesn't apply to you. My dad used to say that all the time. And this doesn't apply to you. Yeah, but I want my acknowledgement for not having done, <laughs> done this thing. This one time when I'm not guilty, I want, uh, I want somebody to acknowledge it. So I, I understand how, you know, so I understand how it is with kids when that happens, but that's kind of what he's saying right here. It's like, listen, the only reason you should have a problem with anything I'm saying is if you're guilty. If you're walking uprightly, this shouldn't, this shouldn't bother you. But no, it's the, it, this did bother Israel because they were guilty. They weren't walking uprightly. They had this judgment coming. So, um, verse 8, Even of late, my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. Notice they were mistreating people who were not in any way a threat to them. And this type of thing is often brought up in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and we're not going to take time to read all those things. Uh, we're going to go to Ezekiel 16 here in a minute. But Jeremiah spends a lot more time than Micah kind of laying out a lot of the sins and the transgressions of Israel. They were, and again, the things they did, it was just like all the other nations. They were just like the other nations. And specifically, Sodom gets mentioned in Ezekiel, which it's never good to be compared to Sodom. And so they were mis, mistreating people. You know, mistreating strangers was not a good thing. It says, The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses, from their children, have ye taken away my glory forever. They're not taking care of the fatherless and the widows. That was a huge, huge problem. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 
chapter 16. A lot of people like to go to Ezekiel and just uh, kind of take it out of context to prove that Sodom was not destroyed because they were all filthy homos. Okay? And understand, obviously, being a homo was not the only sin that Sodomites committed. Just, you know, people, uh, nobody just is a Sodomite and that's like their one little flaw. Okay, now people who are just full of all unrighteousness, they're the ones that do that type of thing. And so what we see here though, in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 42, says, so will I make my fury toward thee to, to rest and my jealousy shall depart from thee and I will be quiet and will be no more angry because thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth but as fretted me in all these things, behold, therefore, I will recompense thy way upon thine head, saith the Lord God, and thou shalt not commit this lewdness above all thine abominations. Behold, everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb saying against thee, saying, as is the mother, so is her daughter. Thou art thy mother's daughter that loatheth her husband and her children, and thou art the sister of thy sisters, which loathe their husbands and their children, your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. And thine elder sister is Samaria. She and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Yet thou hast not walked after their ways nor done after their abominations, but as if they were very little thing, thou was corrupted more than they in all thy ways. As I live, saith Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister, Sodom. Pride. Okay, This is a degenerating we're seeing here. People like to act like pride is worse than being a Sodomite. That's not what it's saying. But let me tell you, pride could eventually lead to you becoming a Sodomite. But you know, everybody struggles with pride. It says pride, fullness of bread, uh, and abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So not taking care of the poor and needy, that was a huge deal. And Israel was guilty of this very thing. And you know what? It was about time for, and during Ezekiel's time, was during the time when, is, when Jerusalem was paying up. So Micah warned them about it. And they got right for a while, but eventually it all came to pass on them and they paid up because they were guilty of all these things. So he says in verse 10, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. And so this did come to pass. It came to pass very soon for Samaria, but much later for Jerusalem. So verse 11, If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. You know what they were doing? He was basically saying, showing them the kind of prophets that they wanted. It's like, you know what kind of prophet you all want? One who's saying, hey, let's drink wine and strong drink. One who says all good things is going to come. That's going to be your prophet. That reminds me of a lot of the trendies today. What do, what do, they all, what do all trendies do? Listen, if, if you want to get, be able to get a, be a card-carrying member of the trendies or the I of B flunkies or whatever, you have to preach in favor of drinking wine. You have, you have to do it. And you know what? That's what these people do. They promote drinking alcohol. And you know what? It's all good. It's all about grace. Dumping all that legalism. 
You know, we're all sweet and wonderful and let's all dress up like queers and everything. That, that's what they're all doing. And you know what? People are flocking to that. You know why? Because our nation is becoming like Israel. And that's the kind of prophets they're looking for. They're not looking for prophets like Micah. They're definitely not looking for prophets like Isaiah not in Jeremiah and the guys that God sent. They're not looking for guys who are just going to come and tell it like it is. They're looking for guys that are going to tell them sweet, happy things. That, that, and so that's what he's saying right there. And so verse 12 says, but it says too, they were walking in spirit and falsehood in their life. So, you know, who cares? Who cares if I'm telling you what you want to hear if it's not true? You know, you all would fire a doctor that went that you went to when you had cancer or something and it could have been treated you know you're just at stage one but you know who wants to hear they have stage one cancer i don't want to hear i have stage one cancer but if later on you're having more problems and they go and it's like yeah now you're stage four it's like you know i knew this was coming you know when you came out last time you're like why didn't you tell me well, i didn't want to make you feel bad i wanted you to keep coming back so i could keep billing you you know but you know, you'd fire that guy. You'd probably try to sue him and probably win. And you know what? I mean, I'm not for going around suing preachers and stuff like that. You know, people have a responsibility to read their Bible themselves. But at the same time, sometimes it's like some of these guys deserve to get sued for the things, for the things that they're preaching. But uh, I, don't, I don't want the government deciding what's true and what's not. So verse 12, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel I will put them together as the sheep of Basra and as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make a great noise by the reason of the multitude of men. The breaker has come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. And he's basically saying the things are going to fall apart for them. God was going to send in the armies and they would change everything as they knew it in Israel. The land, they were going to lose it. It was going to get broken up. They weren't going to know what was going on. Everything that ended up coming on Israel was things just like God told them was going to come when he originally gave the law. All these things he's pronouncing, you can go back in Deuteronomy and read passages warning, if you don't follow my law, this and this and this and this is going to happen. But because it took hundreds of years, you know, people just, they just ignored it. But it, sure enough, it happened. And so while the message of the prophet was anything but pleasant, you know, they should have been thankful for the rebuke because typically when there's a rebuke, there's an opportunity for repentance. They should have been thankful for it. And this is why we should never get angry at the messengers. We should just get, get right. And again, Judah did, and it gave them many more years. But understand these, these prophecies were determined, but... When God does something like that, it's going to come down on the generation who's practicing those things. And so I believe our country, without a doubt, is going to suffer greatly at some point because of all the babies that we've butchered in this country. There, there's no doubt about it. I, I can only imagine how bad it's going to be for this country. But I do believe if we, the fact we're not being creamed right now means there's an opportunity for repentance. You know, we've seen a little bit of good on that with overturning a Roe versus Wade. Some states are doing the right thing. So the thing is, even if our country eliminates abortion, we will still pay. But according to the way things typically go in the Bible, it will happen on a generation that brings it back. It never happens on the repentant generation 
the innocent generation, but this country will suffer for it. There's no doubt about it. I hope it's, you know, in the wrath of God period, but it doesn't have to be. It absolutely does not have to be. And so hopefully uh, this helps you understand a little bit more about the book of Micah. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, the warnings of your word. Help us to learn from the mistakes of Israel and help us to learn from the repentance of Judah and help us, Lord, to uh, repent as a nation of the abominations that we've done. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll... Uh, our leaders will do more to stop abortion. We'll stop a lot of this LGBT stuff in this country and start heading back in the right direction. And I pray that you'll spare this generation and we can see some good things come to pass. In your name we pray. Amen.